Watching by video every week. Easton, we love you. Everybody in North Attleboro, let's give them a big hand. Yeah. And we're going to get into part three of Best Life Ever. The title is A Proper Heart. A Proper Heart. If you have a Bible or take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and we have mentioned this verse every single week, and tonight or this weekend, we're going to talk about this verse. Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 19. Uh, let's stand for the reading of the word tonight, and uh, we'll get into the scripture. Verse 19, Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves. I want you to hear that phrase. Lay up for yourselves. I want you to say it with me. Lay up for... Who, who are we doing this for? This is for your benefit. And it's so important that you get this. Lay up for you treasures in... What's the word? Heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God bless you. Have a seat. I hear many, many people misinterpret that passage. I want to put verse 21 up on the screen for you, because many times we think that what Jesus is saying is, whatever you love is where your money goes. That's not what Jesus said. He did not tell us that money follows our heart. In fact, Jesus said the exact opposite. He said, wherever your treasure is, wherever your money goes, guess what? That's where your heart is headed. Your heart follows your money. It is not your money follows your heart. It's the exact opposite. 
I can tell you where your heart is by looking at your checking account. I can tell where your heart is by looking at your visa statement. I can tell where your heart is by looking at your purchase receipts from the last year. I may see a big receipt for a diamond ring. I can tell you where that guy's heart is. I might see a big receipt for a nice big old swimming pool. I'll tell you where that person's heart is. I can tell you if I see a big receipt for a, 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 an extravagant car or SUV, I can tell you where their hearts are headed. See, we got to be in the business of maintaining a proper heart. And one of the ways that you uh, can guide your heart is to understand that your, tre- your heart follows your treasure. Webster's Dictionary describes the heart in a number of ways. We all know that the heart is the beating organ in your chest. We all know that. That's one of the definitions. But the, the definition that I want to look at is number three on the list. And Webster's definition says this is what our heart is. Our heart is one, one's innermost character, feelings, or inclinations. In other words, your character, your feelings, your inclinations, your emotional life, your uh, re- your reputation in life, and then what turns you on, what switches you on, what makes you light up, your inclinations in life. Those are what Webster's describe as your heart in the sense that Jesus is sharing it. And so if we apply that definition to Jesus' phrase, then we get this reality. Your feelings, your character... And your inclinations will follow your money. Think about that. Your feelings, your emotional ups and downs, your character, the reputation that you have in life, who you really are when nobody's looking. And your inclinations, what really makes you happy, what are you drawn toward? Those three realities of your innermost being are following your money. Here's how I know. Has anybody ever bought a stock have you ever bought a stock? I, I've bought a couple of stocks in my life. And, you know, here's the funny thing about buying a stock. You buy a stock in a company that you formerly couldn't have cared less about. And the moment that you put your money into that company, what happens? You are emotionally involved in the fluctuations of the market concerning that stock. I mean, your, 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 your ups and your downs are now tied to the ups and the downs of that market. I remember I, I bought a stock right before the 2008 collapse. And I'll never forget, I was watching television, and I had a great day. You know, it was a good day. We had, had Wednesday night Bible study, and I went home, and Cheryl and I were watching one of our favorite shows. It was a great day. And then in the, in, in the news came on in the commercial segment break, and it was a breaking news bulletin that the very company that I had just invested some money into was now bankrupt. Not, not the stock went down. Bankrupt. Zeroed out. So, of course, I freak. And I just like, we got to go to the money channel. What's the money channel? And I'm like, Cheryl, what's the money channel? She's like, how should I know? And I'm like, okay, I'll try to find it. And I try to find the money channel. And they're giving me all these things about the deal with this company. And I realized, I'm like, okay, when a company, I asked this really, really innocent question, but absolutely stupid question. What happens to stock owners when the company goes bankrupt? (laughs) 
Anybody know the answer to that question? Zero. Zero. You got nothing, baby. You lost everything. I can't tell you how a great day became a nightmare in a second. Because now my inclinations, my character, my feelings were tied to a company who a couple of weeks before, really, I couldn't have cared less about. Do you know why? Because your heart follows your money. It's, it's not your money follows your heart. So I got a question for you. Where's your heart headed? Where are you going? Where's your feelings tied to? What's your character all about? Some Christians say, I really don't have a heart for missions. I really don't have a heart for that. All right, here's an experiment. Start supporting a missionary monthly, financially, and watch how fast you have a heart for missions. Start, you say, well, I don't really care if this church goes forward or goes backward. Okay, start supporting this church with the tithe and watch how much you care about the future of this church. Because why? Your heart follows what? Your money. And so we've got to be careful. Jesus says you've got to be careful about this. I'm, I'm concerned for you that you don't stockpile here. And you, you tie your heart and your character and your inclinations to this temporary reality. Because if you do, that's really going to be very, very bad for you. You won't be able to leave it behind with absolute peace. We'll say, well, what's so bad about that? Here's what's bad about that. You are going to leave it behind someday. The mortality rate is hovering around 100% in this country. Okay, the statistics show 10 out of 10 people die. Okay, so you're going to leave it. You're going to leave it. Somebody say, I'm going to leave it. Whatever I love right now, whatever I hold on to, whatever's in my house, whatever I, whatever I think is so valuable I couldn't live without, guess what? You're going to have to someday live without it. So you got to guard where your money's going. Because it's not about staying here. It's a very simple concept, but one we forget all the time. You can't take it with you. And you can't stop from leaving. So Jesus says, I got to figure it out. <laughs> it's very, very simple. Just stockpile for up there. Just start making investments for where you're going. Not for where you are. Because if you can't stop it, and you can't take what you got, then, then stop worrying about this. Start making the investment for who? For you. <laughs> he says, store treasures for you. This is, this is about you. For you. God, God doesn't mind you actually doing this. We think, oh, being a Christian is all about just never having nothing and just being poor and living like dirt. You know, that's what creating a Christian is about. Then I'm going to die and go to heaven and I'll live like dirt up there too. No, God says you have a chance to make your eternal heaven better right now by investing. The great Jim Elliot, the great Jim Elliot, he was a missionary. I say great, but you know what? He went to the Aachen Indians on his first missionary journey, and he was killed by the cannibal Indians on his first missionary journey. 
And in his journal, he wrote this very, very famous line. And you've probably heard it, maybe you haven't, but if you haven't, I, I want you to catch it. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what we can't keep, the stuff around us, our things, to gain what we cannot lose, eternal blessings, eternal home in heaven. And so you got to make the investment. There was a movie that came out about 10 years ago. It's called Castaway. How many remember Castaway? Love that movie. Big Tom Hanks fan until he decided that he was going to be anti-everything Jesus. But nonetheless, in the movie Castaway, um, Tom Hanks is deserted on an island. How many know this story? I'm just sorry. I, I, I don't know how much I should explain. Okay. I don't have to explain much. And he's on the island, and, and anybody remember, who does Tom Hanks fall in love with on the island? <laughs> Wilson, a volleyball. And you remember that he cut his hand, and he took the volleyball, and he flung it, and then it created kind of a face, and he made the face with his own blood. Remember that? Funny part of the movie comes up later, and he has an argument with Wilson. I mean, he's having an argument with a ball. And he takes it and he flings it again. And he's, you know, just temper tantrum. He gets all mad at Wilson. He's having these conversations. He's got nobody else. And so um, in the movie, you see him cut his hand so that he takes the blood from his own body to reform the face on the volleyball. Who does this? People alone on an island with a volleyball do it. And then there's this, this really crazy part. A sail comes in on the island, and he has a chance to escape and make for land, make for, make for society, make for civilization again. And so he ties up the boat. We all know this. He ties up the boat with bamboo string and all that kind of stuff. And then he puts, he puts Wilson on the boat with him because he's not going to leave Wilson behind. And it's funny how Wilson morphs over the, over the video, over the movie, because Wilson's a normal volleyball with a handprint. And by the end of the movie, it looks like Wilson has gotten on drugs or something. Because he's got, he's got like this hair that's like flying out. Like it looks like a, I wouldn't, if Wilson was a teenager, I wouldn't want my kids hanging around with him. That's all I'm saying. But anyway, Wilson morphs into this real looking human being. But he puts him on the boat. And something happens when he's out on sea. On the way for his rescue mission, something happens. I want to show you it here on this, on this video clip. Watch this. Wilson, where are you? Wilson! 
Wilson! Wilson! I'm sorry! I'm sorry, Wilson! Wilson, I'm sorry! I'm sorry! Wilson! I can't! Wilson! laugh at that part of the movie. I really do. I mean, hats off to Tom Hanks. It's a phenomenal scene, and he's a great actor, but I always laugh because here we got tragedy and humor at the same time. The tragedy is he's lost his only friend that's been with him on the island for however many years he was out there. The humor is he's crying about losing a volleyball. <laughs> and I look at it and I say, what a what a fool. Let it go. You're on your way to freedom. And I think about that scene and I think that is how God sees us. Crying about a volleyball on our boat to freedom, on our boat to heaven. Crying about what we've lost. Crying about bad decisions. Oh, I wish I never. Oh, I wish I should have. Oh, I should have invested here. Or I should have done that. Or I wish I had never bought that house. Or I wish I had never married that person. Or I wish, I wish. Crying and obsessing and worrying about things and stuff we cannot keep. And what we've got is a death grip on the red part of the rope. No! Wilson! Maybe it's not Wilson for you. Maybe it's Samsung! <laughs> Sony! PlayStation! I'm 35. The Lord's delivered me from that. Finally, thank the Lord Jesus. But, you know, what? Lexus! <laughs> what are you holding on to? What are you dying to keep that you can't? This is why we tithe. This is why. Because th this is the thing with tithing. T I said this last week. Maybe you forgot it, but I'll just say it again. Tithing is the training wheels of giving. It's the beginning. It's, it's doing this with your death grip. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, God. Okay. Because if you try to hold on to this part of the rope, your hands will never grasp the rest. See? Very simple. Exodus chapter 23. If you have the Bible, you can go there. You don't have to go there. We'll put it on the screen. There's this very, very weird moment. We just looked at a weird moment in, video, uh, in movie history. I want to show you a weird moment in the Bible. Sometimes you read the Bible, anybody have this happen, and you just say, what on earth is that for? Especially in the Old Testament, right? 
Like you read through the first couple of books of the Old Testament, you get to the middle of Exodus, you're like, what is this all for? Goats and lambs and blood and birds and pigeons and what on earth is this? And then there's these phrases that you're just like, why is the Bible saying this now? And in Exodus chapter 23, that happens. God's talking about the feasts, Passover, in-gathering, harvest, three feasts a year. He's talking about being kind to the stranger. He's talking about being kind to those who hate you. He's talking about being faithful with what God gives you. And then he gets to verse 19 and something crazy happens. Exodus chapter 3 verse Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. God's giving Moses commands, and he says this, The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. What is that talking about? The tithe. He says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to bring that to the house of the Lord. And then read the, <laughs> read the rest of the verse. All right, the, the, the rest of the verse reads like this. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring in the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in his mother's milk. Okay. <laughs> um, this was a problem for some people, I guess. Like the teenagers, you know, they weren't in the back smoking pot. They were boiling goats in their mother's milk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was thinking to myself, what does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with possessions? What does that have to do with our wealth? And I read and I studied and I thought and I prayed and it just dawned on me. A couple of thoughts came to me. Um, the milk of a young goat is a temporary sustenance for that goat. A, goat, a baby goat is weaned within 12 to 14 weeks. No more goat's milk. Got to go and eat grass. Got to get his own apartment. Got to get out of the house. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody with a boomerang kid says amen. All right. Um, they got to leave. They got to move on. And to take the milk that's temporary and to be the source of death. God's not against cooking goats. He's just against cooking them in something that was temporary for their life, for their sustenance. And all at once, while I was studying and reading, and I prayed, and I thought, Lord, what does it have to do with anything? It all dawned on me in one simple sentence. Here's the sentence. Don't let temporary stuff become the death of you. Because if you're not careful, it will. Jesus shares a parable about four soils. The third soil is the soil amongst the weeds. And the seed is sown amongst the weeds, and it sprouts up quickly. That means that somebody comes to Jesus, and they're all excited about it. They're happy. They're joyful. Things have changed. They've got a new life. And then Jesus says, and the deceitfulness of wealth and the pleasures of this world choke the plant, making it unfruitful. I can't tell you how many Christians fit that description because we got so much in america that we're blinded to what we need we don't even have a clue what needs are we don't our air conditioning goes out in the middle of july and we're like how can i live like this you can do it <laughs> tom hanks did it for five years on the island i mean you, 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 you've got to see it from God's perspective. 
This is temporary stuff, and it has the capacity to kill you. Don't go boiling your life in what's not going to last. PBS did a special called Affluenza in America. Affluenza. A little play on words, not influenza. America is suffering from affluenza. And they came up with some really strong statistics, and here's some of them I want to share with, them, with you, some of them. Number one, the average American shops six hours a week while spending 42 minutes on average playing with their children. Is that boiling in someone's milk? By age 20, a person has seen, by age 20, a person has seen one million commercials. And what does every commercial say? You aren't happy until you have our product. Another statistic. In America this past year, more people declared bankruptcy than graduated from college. Is that crazy or what? Is that not moving forward or what? That's crazy. In 90% of divorces reported in the past four years, money was cited as the reason for the split. 90%. What's the, what's the point I'm making? If you're not careful, your stuff can kill you. It'll stop you cold. It'll hold you back. It'll become the death of you. And God doesn't want that. He cares too much about you. So what's the answer? Jesus is going to tell us. we got to go back to Matthew 6. You don't have to go there if you don't want to, but if you still got your Bible open. Jesus is going to tell us how to not let stuff become the death of us. Verses 22 and 23 in Matthew chapter 6. Continuing on from wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he says this. The eye is the lamp of the body. This is, this is kind of like, what is he talking about? This, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, somebody say bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus said it all starts with your eye. It all starts with your eye. What are you looking at? How do you see possessions? How do you see people? How do you see stuff? And how do you perceive your life? It all begins right here. He says, if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Now, this doesn't mean much to us in our day, but every Jew listening to Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 that day knew exactly what verse of Scripture he was referencing. They knew a passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 15 that dealt with being generous or being stingy. And I want to put this up on the screen for you so you see it. De Deuteronomy 15, God is giving some, some, some life principles to the people of Israel. And here's what he says, Deuteronomy 15, verse 9. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. Let me give you the context of this passage. In Israel, in the Old Testament, here's what they did. Every seven years, all debts were canceled. How many of you would like that principle to be reinstated right now in America? How about that? Just credit cards, the loan to your mom, the car payments, done. Seven years. That's a cool principle. Anybody who says the Bible's boring, they don't know it, okay? Um, 
And every seven years, now, now, now in this passage right here in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 59, he's talking about if someone comes to you and they say to you, you know, we had a bad season for crops at our house. Uh, we had a tornado hit the house. We had something happen. Bad things happen. And you know what? We just don't have enough money to pay our rent. Can, can you just help us? Can, can we take out a loan from you? And he says, and if it's in the sixth and a half year and he comes to you for a loan, your immediate thought is going to be, well, hold on a second. If I give you a loan now, we're just six months away from the year of canceling debts. I could lose this money. You know what God says? That's an evil thought. That's an evil thought. Here's, here's how he continues the phrase. Verse 10. You shall give to him freely. E even if he can't pay, it's not about getting it back. All right, you, you can't have an evil eye. By the way, this is the root of the phrase evil eye. It's actually talking about being stingy. And he says, you shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be, what's the next word? Shall not be, say it like you mean it, grudging. You know, that, you know it kills some people to give? You, do you know what the telltale sign is it's killing somebody to give? When they reach for their wallet and their heart at the same time. Some people just do that. They just, oh, okay. Uh, I mean, it looks like you're, you know, are you constipated? What's going on here? Just let it go. I mean, seriously, some people need a financial enema. <laughs> give to him freely. Your heart shall not be, what's the word? Not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, check this out. This is the promise now. When you give and you're expecting nothing in return. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Whoa. How many of you would like that blessing right there? Imagine all your work and everything that you do just have the blessing of the Lord on it. You can't fail. You can't go wrong. Jesus, God says, here's the secret. Give freely. Let it go. Release the red rope. Open your hand to your neighbor. Give generously. Be a giver. Be generous. And the blessing of God will be on everything that you do. Listen to me very carefully. You don't even understand that there are some of you, God is holding back the blessing because you're being stingy and holding on to what you got. God's word is just let it, let it, let it fly. Did you know that God knows how to bless you? And he, he can come up with a million ways to do it. <laughs> He's creative like that. He can give you free stuff. He can make things last longer than they should. He can give you the promotion at just the right time. How do you, how do you get that blessing? You just have that heart change. Have that heart change to just give freely. Parents, parents, we know this. Listen, we, 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 we know this principle. What's one of the number one lessons that we spend the boatload of our time trying to teach our kids? Share. Right? And so a kid from another uh, uh, house comes over to play with your kid and picks up something that your kid owns. What does your kid do? He goes and he grabs. I was playing with that. 
Then the kid goes and finds another toy, and he runs over. I was playing with that, too. That's mine. He wasn't playing with it. Just that's mine. Hard, hard to share. What do parents do? What do we say? No, 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 no. We what? What do we do? We share. Share. Does anybody know why kids don't share? Here, here, here's why they don't share. Because they're immature. <laughs> that's it. They just haven't grown up. I bought my son, Connor, a chocolate milk at McDonald's one day. I shared this a few years ago. And, uh, you know, I didn't have much money that day in my cash. I didn't want to go in a debit card. So I bought him a chocolate milk and Olivia chocolate milk. And I was on the road and I got a little thirsty because I had some of his fries. I do that. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I said, you know, Connor, I'm, I'm a little bit thirsty. Could I please have some of your chocolate milk? He said, no. I said, Connor, seriously, give me some of your chocolate milk. He goes, no, it's mine. <laughs> I bought him the chocolate milk. <laughs> if I wanted to, I could have bought him 10 chocolate milks. I just didn't want to go into my debit card, right? In other words, I was trying to say, you know, it's, it's the reality is Connor doesn't realize. I got the power to make him swim in chocolate milk if I want to. I could drown the kid in chocolate milk. At that point, I was thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, I could have, you know, let's, I'm just going to go right back to McDonald's right now and get, get a chocolate milk. I'm going to get, actually, I'm going to get five, and I'm not going to give you one. I mean, I, I had the power to do that. But he didn't realize that his dad was going to give him all the chocolate milk he wanted. Just needed to realize that. I don't blame him. He was about four at the time, five. Just wasn't grown up yet. You know why some of us don't give? They haven't grown up yet. It's that simple. We've got to grow up. We've got to realize that our Father in heaven has enough to give us all the chocolate milk we could ever drink. <laughs> All that we would ever need. This is what Jesus said in the New Testament. We're going to close with this. He says this. Give, verse 6, uh, chapter 6 of Luke, uh, chapter 6 of Luke, verse 30. Let's put it up on the screen. Chapter 6 of Luke, verse 30. Give to everyone who asks of you. How are we doing with that? That's a tough one. He says, give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Anybody have a problem with that little phrase right there? Do you mean to tell me that when my neighbor comes and borrows my weed whacker for the 15th time, I don't have the right? Yes. That's what he's saying. Just give it. Just give it. Because why? Your father knows how to take care of you. Then he goes on in verse 32. He says this. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Sinners do that. Non-Christians do that. That's normal. He says, if you do good to those who do good for you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, in other words, you're looking to how can I, how can I capitalize on this deal, what credit is that to you? He says, even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Verse 35, but love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting, and the New King James Version says this, hoping for nothing in return. That's a hard word. 
Why? And your reward will be, what's the word? Great. And you will be sons of the Most High. You're going to be like God. You're going to be like God. Tony uh, kind of touched on it tonight when he said that the real blessing of tithing wasn't the blessing of his business. It was getting close to God. You know what brings you close to God? Giving. Why? Because God is an ultimate giver. The most important phrase in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Didn't condemn, didn't declare, didn't prophesy, he gave. And he invented giving and he mastered giving and he's still giving and he's looking for people to whom he can give. And he's asking us to be like that. Knowing that he's always going to bless us. And he says this. He says this. You'll be sons of the Most High. That means you'll be like God. For he is kind. Look at what this says. To the ungrateful and the evil. Who are the ungrateful and the evil? You are. <laughs> you are. I am. That's me. That's you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were ungrateful and we were evil. And God said, I still want to give you something. And then he says this, be merciful even as your heavenly father is merciful. There are two benefits to giving character development. You become like God. And then the last one is this, freedom from worry. Freedom from worry. The wisest man in the Bible, his name was Solomon, outside of Jesus. His name was Solomon. He writes a book called Ecclesiastes about chasing everything in life and coming up empty. And he writes this, this chapter, chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. He comes up with several bullet points about things and money. And just to illustrate how, how worthless it is. And he had everything that he could have wanted. He had a palace. He had a thousand wives. I mean, the guy had everything. And nothing that he saw did he deny himself of. And he writes in Ecclesiastes, uh, many theologians believe it was at the end of his life. And he writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, I know I said I was closing. That means nothing. This now I'm closing. Okay. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he, he gives us bullet points about stuff and money. Here's what he says. I want to just run down these and, and give you the translation of every phrase. Now I'm going to do this quickly, so pay attention. E e Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Translation, the more you have, the more you will want. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, the second half of the verse. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Translation, the more you have, the less you're satisfied. Is it any wonder why the country with the most depressed people are right here? We got a lot. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 11, very next phrase. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. Translation, the more you have, the more people, and by that I mean the IRS, will come after it. Is that not true? Ecclesiastes 5, verse 11, the last half of the verse. And what benefit are they to the owner, the things that they ask, except to feast his eyes on them? Translation, the more you have, the more you realize it doesn't matter how much you have. What can you do with it? Just look. Verse 12. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Translation, the more you have, the more you have to worry about. 
Any ever, any ever, anybody ever upgrade their couch? And the old couch, it was like, jump on it, kids. Fine, no problem. Trampoline, somersault, spilled juice, who cares? You get the new couch, what happens? It's like the golden calf has just walked into your house. Don't touch the couch. Don't sit on the couch. Don't even look on the couch. Don't even breathe on the couch. I mean, really, that's what happens, right? Because we have more to worry about. (laughs) Verse 13. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune. Translation, the more you have, the more you have to lose. It's very simple. It's very simple. Where's your heart headed? Because your money follows your heart. Are you making investments in the rest of the rope? Or are you playing volleyball? I want you to stand with me.